So as we begin today's message, I want to ask you, how good are you at waiting? How do you do on the patience scale? When you have to wait for a couple of days, when you have to wait for a couple of weeks, when you have to wait for a couple of months, if you had to wait for a couple of years for something, how do you cope with that? I'm sure it will come as a very, very small surprise to any of you that this is one of the things that I struggle with a lot. I'm very much a get it done kind of guy and so like, well, let's just move on and get to the next thing and the next thing and it's very frustrating when things don't get to move forward and so patience is a big challenge and many of you are aware that over the last couple of weeks that has had a heightened level of reality. Uh, We have been in the process of getting our roof replaced and so we booked that in over two months ago and it was supposed to start after the June long weekend uh, but then it was raining a lot and so the project before ours got delayed and then ours got delayed and um, pleased to say it's about 80% done and we're hoping that they'll finish that off tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, but that's been a very frustrating process, just waiting and waiting for this roof to get done. You're all also very aware of uh, where we're at with our Western Communities Conversations and uh, that also has been a huge time of waiting and uh, I'll admit and I have admitted to some of you at times that's been a real challenge in terms of being able to say we want to get on with that, we want to move forward with what that's going to look like for us to be able uh, to journey together and to work together but there's not a whole lot that we can do at the moment. We have to allow the process to run its course. We have to allow them to do the voting that we've talked about today and do that at the end of the month and then wait for them to have their final services, assuming that it all goes ahead. Uh, But in these periods where we have to just kind of sit and wait, there's not a whole lot that we can do. It can be really, really frustrating. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in that place, I often kind of wrestle with this question, why me, God? Why do I have to go through this? Why won't you act? Why won't you do something? Why won't you just move things forward so that I don't have to sit in this place anymore? And that question, why me, has been the key part of this uh, series that we've been doing over the last month as we've explored the life of Joseph, where we find ourselves in these situations where we say, why me, God? Why am I where I am? And so we have looked at Joseph's life and all of the different things that happened to him where he's in this place where he rightly could say, why me, God? What did I do to deserve this? And as we've done that, we've explored this question, why do bad things happen to good people? And how is it that we can respond when we're in a situation when we feel like we're stuck, where we feel like God's not necessarily doing anything and we're waiting for things to resolve? So today we're going to wrap up this series and so you have your teaching notes inside of a Connect newsletter so you can feel free to grab that and uh, jot things down as we go through today's message. And we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 41. So as has happened with a number of these messages, we won't be covering all of the verses. So if you want to have that in front of you uh, so that you can see where we're going, that's great. You can open up to Genesis 41 now. So the story recap and a reminder that you can go back uh, on our YouTube channel, which you can access through the front page of our website to watch all of the previous messages from the series uh, or our podcast. You can listen to them through that way. We began the series by talking about Joseph, who was the son of this guy named Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, this guy who God came alongside of and said, I'm going to make you the father of a massive family that's going to become a massive family, a massive nation. And we're going to work together so that you can understand life the way that I created it to be. What it looks like to live in a full relationship with me, with each other and with creation, the way that life is supposed to work. And uh, so Jacob is the grandson of Abraham who has his name changed to Israel. And so he is the father of the Israelite tribes. The 12 sons of Jacob are the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph was the 11th of those 12 sons and had a really, really special place in Jacob's heart. 
some, a few things that were very significant about Joseph that meant that Jacob was unapologetic about saying how much he loved him. And his brothers, understandably, were kind of jealous of that reality and uh, got more and more fed up with Joseph and this uh, different relationship that he had with Jacob. Joseph then has these really, really powerful, vivid dreams where his family is going to bow down before him. And his brothers, when they hear about that, say, that's it. That's the final straw. And initially they decide that they're going to kill him, but then they back away from that a little bit and decide that they'll just sell him into slavery. He's bought by this guy named Potiphar, who is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And Joseph serves very, very faithfully in Potiphar's house and ends up working his way up the chain until ultimately he's running all of Potiphar's house and all of Potiphar's business affairs. He's incredibly successful, but Potiphar's wife has a little bit of a crush on Joseph that turns into a little bit more than a little bit of a crush. And ultimately, uh, she corners him one day and traps him and he runs away to get out of the situation. Uh, But she then makes up a story to say that Joseph came in and attacked her. And so Potiphar is obviously not pleased about this and has him thrown in jail. While he's in jail, Joseph then continues to serve really, really faithfully and serves the people around him and gets given more and more responsibility until ultimately, once again, he's running the whole place. He's running the whole jail. These couple of characters show up in jail one day, uh, Pharaoh's butler and his baker who show up, and they have these vivid dreams as well, which Joseph is able to interpret about what's going to happen to them next. And so Joseph says to them, when you go back to Pharaoh, please tell him about me. Please tell him that I'm stuck here. I don't deserve to be in jail. I don't deserve to be here in Egypt at all, quite frankly. And so can you please tell him uh, that I'm here and do something to be able to let me out? Well, they go back and the butler completely forgets all about Joseph and Joseph ends up being stuck in jail. And so that's where we left things two weeks ago. And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41, verse 1. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. So don't miss that. Two full years later for Joseph. After all this happened, after he had these expectations... That the, baker, uh, sorry, that the butler was going to go back to Pharaoh and was going to help him to be able to get set free, nothing happens. He's just stuck there. And to blow this out further, we find out a few verses later that Joseph at this point is 30 years old. And Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. So it's been 13 years since Joseph was taken away from his family and taken to Egypt. And now two full years that he's been stuck in jail. What must that have been like for Joseph? Can you imagine night after night in your jail cell just lying there, thinking about all of the missed opportunities, thinking about how the butler didn't go and do what you asked him to do, thinking this is now my life, I'm never going to get out of here, that was my one shot and it's gone? How tempting must it have been for Joseph to just say, I'm done with all of this? How tempting must it have been for him to give up on God and to say, God, you've clearly given up on me because I'm stuck here, so I'm done with you, God. I'm walking away from all of this. It's a real challenge for us that when we find ourselves in those situations where God doesn't seem to be doing anything, where we feel like we're stuck, where we feel like there's no way of being able to move forward, are we willing to continue to be faithful? Are we willing to hold on to God, even in those times when it feels like God has left us on our own? We're returning back to Pharaoh's dream in verse 2. 
we read that Pharaoh saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank, and then the, the scrawny, thin cows ate up the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up, but he fell asleep again and he had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realised it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams, and so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. So Pharaoh has these really, really vivid dreams where there's these massively healthy fat cows that are really plump and really, really good. And then these scrawny cows, he come along and eat up the really, really fat, healthy cows. Then he has another dream where there's these really healthy, fat pieces of grain that get eaten up by these scrawny little pieces of grain. And so as you can imagine, if you had that dream, you'd kind of be a little bit disturbed. And so he gets up in the morning and he goes and gets his guys. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that in Egypt, that's kind of the way that things work. There were these wise men and these magicians whose role it was to interpret dreams. And so he calls them all in. He says, guys, here's the dream. What do you think it means? And none of them are able to give him an answer at all. So verse 9 Finally, the king's chief cupbearer, our friend the butler, speaks, spoke up. Today, I've been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he predicted. The chief cupbearer, the butler, suddenly is reminded about the reality of what he hasn't done. Now, we don't know the context for that. We don't know whether over the last couple of years he's just completely forgotten all about Joseph or whether he remembered at different times, but he was like, eh, I'm probably not going to tell Pharaoh, remind him that he threw me in jail. That was a season of my life that I want to just kind of forget about, so I'm not going to talk about it, not going to bring it up again. But whatever was going on, he suddenly realises and he says, I have been reminded of my failure. And so he says to Pharaoh, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. And so in verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and he's quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. So imagine this moment if you're Joseph. How would you be feeling as you prepare yourself to come and stand before Pharaoh, what would be going through your head? Would you have a sense of hope? Here's my chance. Finally, I get to talk to Pharaoh. I've been waiting all these years to be able to do it. I'm finally going to be able to tell him and surely he's going to set me free. I would imagine that you'd probably have a fair bit of anxiety. I get one shot at this. So I better make sure whatever I say is right because if I don't, that's it. I'm going back to prison and that's the end of it. There's a fair chance that Joseph may well have felt a little bit hopeless about the whole situation. I've been here before. There's probably nothing going to come out of it anyway. And even if he does set me free, I'm sure I'll have another setback because that's what my life seems to be like. So pessimistic about how it's all going to turn out. Well, verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. 
It's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. This is pretty staggering what Joseph ends up saying here. Because what would you have expected Joseph to say? If I was in Joseph's shoes, I would have said, before we go any further, Pharaoh, I'm happy to interpret your dream, but you'd better do something for me. I'll tell you what your dream means, but only if you promise that you're going to set me free. You would think that you would probably start to bargain a little bit. Another option for Joseph would have been to say, yes, actually, I am a great and powerful magician. I am quite incredible and I have interpreted many dreams in the past and so I can do this for you. But again, I'm only going to do it if you will do this for me. But what are the words that Joseph speaks? It's beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Here, Joseph uses this as another opportunity to talk about how amazing God is and to say, I can't do this for you, but God can. And I know that God's able to not only be able to help you understand what your dream is, but to be able to set your mind at ease. I know that God can give you the sense of peace that you are so desperately craving and that you want so badly. I can't fix that, but I know that God can. So Pharaoh retells Joseph his dreams and then when we fast forward a bit to verse 25, Joseph responds and interprets them. Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God's telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I've described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. So Joseph says, here's what the dreams mean. But again, let's stop and think about what Joseph's options were here. It's probably not great news to say to Pharaoh, well, the good news is that you're going to have seven years where everything's going to be really, really amazing. But I've also got some bad news for you. After that, everything's going to go sideways, so much so that everyone's going to forget about all of the good things that have happened over the next few years. Surely it would have been tempting for Joseph, again, either to say, well, I'll tell you half of your dream, but if you're going to set me free, then I'll tell you the rest. Or to say, I'll just tell you the good stuff and don't worry about that scrawniness. That uh, is insignificant. That's why it's scrawny. It doesn't really matter. Don't need to worry about that part. Good things are going to happen, Pharaoh. So while you're in a good mood, how about you set me free? Would have been very tempting for him to explore any of those sorts of options. Joseph then continues and he says, Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it into Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Now, it's interesting for us to think about what Joseph's motivation is here. 
you could kind of think, again, that Joseph would be putting himself forward for this role and saying, well, what you need to do is find a guy that's about, I don't know, like this high and has uh, brown hair like me and uh, brown eyes like me, uh, someone who's maybe spent a couple of years in prison, uh, someone who previously worked for the captain of your guard maybe. So just kind of present himself forward and say, have I got a deal for you? I can help you out here. This will be really, really great. But we don't believe that's what Joseph is doing here. As we've seen throughout his story, Joseph continues to be a man of integrity, a man who just wants to do the right things. And so as he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, because of the way that his mind works, he's able to see what the plan is. He says, well, Pharaoh, it's clear what you need to do. While there's plenty around, you need to put some of that aside. If you put 20% of that away all the time and have some people who look after all of that and someone is overseeing it, then by the time you get to the time of famine, You'll have plenty stored up and everything will all be okay. It's a very, very bold plan, but we imagine that Joseph's just saying, so that's what you need to do, Pharaoh. You've got to find someone who's going to look after all of that. Well, verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God's revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You'll be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. It's pretty amazing what Pharaoh ends up seeing in Joseph just from this very, very short conversation. He can tell that there is something very significant and different about Joseph. Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? And remember, this is Egypt, where they have all these different gods and all the different ways that they worship them. Pharaoh can see that there's something different that Joseph has got to offer. There's something significant and he can see that the spirit of God is at work there for him. Probably would have been a little bit awkward for all of the other people and all of his other advisors that are around when Pharaoh says, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Would have been awkward if you were one of those other guys standing there saying, wait a minute. But Pharaoh can see Joseph's got a lot to offer. So once again, let's stop and put ourselves in Joseph's shoes at this point. How would you be feeling as Pharaoh says all of these things to you? After all of these years, after all of the setbacks that he's experienced, all the things that have gone wrong, do you dare to believe that maybe things are going to turn a corner? Maybe this is the time where God is actually going to do something really, really significant. Verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. What an experience for Joseph. Imagine as Pharaoh takes his signet ring off, hands it to him and says, here you go. This is the symbol of my authority and the ability for you to make all of these decisions. Dresses him in fine linen and you have to imagine that there was a little bit for him about being reminded about the coat that his father had given him having a gold chain around his neck, this symbol of prosperity, and then riding around in a chariot, having people call out ahead of you, kneel down because this 
is Joseph. He's second in command in all of Egypt. What must that have been like for Joseph? Would he have had a sense of gratitude about the way that things have unfolded? A sense of being completely humble about the reality, humbled about the reality of what's fallen out? You wonder whether he would have thought about his family in the way that things came. Whether he would have stopped and thought one of two things. I wish my family was here to see this because they're the ones who put me here. So that'll show them. Or a sense of I wish my family was here to see me because they would have loved to have seen where I have ended up. I would hope. And we know ultimately that's where things go. Hopefully you have been reading through our reading plan over the last couple of weeks and so you know where things move from this point on. Joseph ends up following through and does a really, really amazing job of all of the responsibilities that he's given. Egypt is safe and taken care of. But meanwhile, Joseph's family are also experiencing a significant famine. They run out of food where they are as well and they're completely desperate. And so they go searching everywhere and end up coming all the way down to Egypt to try and find food. They appear before Joseph and Joseph recognises his brothers, but his brothers don't recognise him. They're obviously not expecting to see Joseph at all. A whole bunch of things transpire and eventually Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they can't believe it. Ultimately, Jacob, Joseph's father and all of his family is brought into Egypt as well and all of them get looked after. Because of this, God ultimately works so that Israel, the nation of Israel, Israel's family are all looked after and they grow into a really, really massive nation. Their future is secured. And we know if you fast forward quite a bit further forward, ultimately, after generations pass, Joseph is completely forgotten about. New pharaohs come and go and all that's left is this massive group of people, the Israelites, who the new pharaoh decides, there's a few too many of you, we need to keep you under control, so puts them all into slavery. Out of that, we know that Moses rises up and ultimately leads them out of slavery and leads them to the promised land. And then the story continues on in significant ways from there. But it's mind-blowing to stop and just think about the ways in which God is able to take all of this. Imagine if Joseph hadn't been in Egypt and this famine had happened. The Israelites probably would have all died out. And this plan of God walking with a group of people to help them understand what God is all about, what life is supposed to be all about, and ultimately to prepare the way of Jesus, none of that would have happened. Yet because of everything that Joseph's been through, he's in a position where he can secure not just the Egyptians, but to secure everything for the Israelites. It's astounding the way that God can take all of these bad things that happen and be able to use them for ultimate good. As you're going to read this week, Joseph ultimately ends up being in a place where he says, you meant to his brothers, you meant all of this to happen for bad and evil purposes, but God was able to use it for good. It's staggering where this journey goes. And if you haven't been reading through our reading plan, I would encourage you to do that. There's still some out in the foyer. And don't worry about the dates, but you can catch up because it is really great to read where things go from where we've left off this morning. So as we wrap up this series, it's good for us just to stop and say, well, what can we take away from all of this that we've looked at over the last month? 
And this is something you think is always really, really important because it's relatively easy to say, okay, well, that series is finished, so we move on. We move on to the things that we're going to talk about with some guest speakers over the next couple of weeks and then our next series. But what is it that God wants you to take into the second half of this year? Is there one thing that we've focused on or talked about that would be really helpful for you to hold on to as we move into what is ahead of us? One of the key themes that we've explored is this question of why bad things happen to good people. Why is there suffering that ends up being experienced by people like Joseph who really don't deserve it? And this is such an important question for us to be able to hold on to because so many people around us ask this question. I'm sure you've been asked it by other people. You've probably asked it yourself. Why is it that God allows suffering to happen? And so often that question is posed in a way to say God is to blame for all of the suffering in the world and that proves that God's not really that good after all. But what we've seen over and over and over again through Joseph's story is that all of the bad things that happen to him, all of the suffering that he goes through is purely because of the choices of other people, the bad choices that other people have made. It's not because God's been punishing him. It's not because God's been stopping things from being able to work out the way that God would prefer. It's because of the poor choices that others have made. When we wrestle with these questions and say, why is there poverty in the world. It's so unfair. If God was really a good God, surely he'd do something about it. We've got to stop and recognise that poverty exists because of the poor choices that people make. There is more than enough food, more than enough money in the world for everyone to be looked after. The reason why that's not the case is because of greed and power and corruption and the choices that people make. None of that's God's fault. (laughs) That's because of the choices that we make. We think about people who experience abuse in all sorts of different ways. None of that's God's fault. That's because of the choices that people make. So as we've seen throughout this series, what we want to do when we wrestle with this question, why do bad things happen to good people, is not to say because God doesn't care, but to say because people make poor choices. And what have we seen about God through all of this, through Joseph's experience? God doesn't leave him. God is with him through everything that happens. And in actual fact, in his darkest moments, those are the times when Joseph gets to experience God's faithfulness and God's love in a more powerful way than would have happened if he wasn't going through a difficult time. So when we find ourselves wrestling with that big question, we don't blame God. We stop and we recognise and do the work to understand who's making which choices We also stop long enough to be able to say, and God hasn't left us, or God hasn't left that person or those people. God is still with them, and God is still at work in their lives and their situation. But we also want to recognise that ultimately God is able to take even the worst of situations and turn them around and do amazing things through them. The challenge for us is whether we're willing to persevere and be patient enough to see that through. But Joseph, as we've talked about, how tempting it must have been for him to just give up so many times. And if he had, look at what he would have missed out on. Because he's willing to wait and to see things through, ultimately God is able to take a really awful situation and do something amazing with it. We believe that God can take even the worst of situations and transform them into something miraculous. And the best example of that is Jesus. When we think about Jesus' journey to the cross, 
We think about all of the roads that Jesus walked that ultimately led to his death, to the darkest point probably of human history. We recognise that God is able to take even that and to transform that into Jesus' resurrection, whereas we talked about last week, as Phil talked about, even death is destroyed. All of the evil choices, all of the selfishness in the world is ultimately destroyed and we have a sense of hope of what the future looks like because of Jesus. So as we wrap up today and as we wrap up this series, I want to give you an opportunity to do some reflecting and to try and identify what's that one thing that you want to take into the second half of this year. For some of us, we are in really hard situations right now. We're in a really dark place for all sorts of different reasons. And so this is an opportunity for us to be able to pause and say, am I able to hold on to hope that God is with me in the midst of the challenges that I'm facing? For some of us, that's as far as we need to go. Am I willing to trust that God hasn't left me, even though it feels like it? And specifically for some of us, it might be worth unpacking the reality that God is not punishing us or holding things back from us because we haven't done enough or because we've done the wrong things. And that's the reason that we're stuck where we are. Sometimes we're just in a hard place because that's the way that things have worked out. That's not God withholding blessings from us. That's just where we're at. Are we willing to believe that God is with us, that God is for us, that God still loves us, even in the midst of difficult circumstances? For some of us, it is this call to greater levels of perseverance and patience. To be willing to say, maybe I can't see that God's at work right now, today, or this week, or this month. But am I willing to believe that God is still at work, that there is still something at the end of all of this and I can hold on to God for a little bit longer. For all of us, there's a challenge in this to be able to say, are we willing to be like Joseph where we choose to serve others and to look for opportunities to point to God even when we're not in a great space? We've seen that throughout Joseph's story, that far from being miserable and bitter and resentful and twisted, Joseph chooses continually to say, where is God at work and how do I point people to that? And so for all of us, there's an opportunity as we step into this week and the rest of this year to say, how do we continue to serve faithfully even when we're struggling? How do we choose to continue to point people to God even when we're in difficult situations? So what is it for you? What is it that God has been saying to you through God's story over this last month? What is it that you want to take into the second half of this year? You might want to jot something down. You can talk to the person next to you, but take some time to reflect and try and capture that in some way. And uh, then we'll come back and we'll pray and transition across to communion.
God, we're so grateful for the opportunity that we've had over this last month to be able to dig into Joseph's story. We thank you that scripture is filled with the stories of people who are just ordinary, normal people like us, who you journey with and who teach us so much by the examples that they set. Today I want to pray as we finish this series up that you would remind us that you are the God who is able to bring ultimate good out of even the darkest of situations. And for some of us this morning as we're sitting here, we are really struggling. We're going through a very dark time. We might feel like we're in prison, that we're isolated, that we're alone. We might be wondering where this journey is leading or whether it's ever going to end. My prayer is that right now in this moment, you would give each of us a reminder that you are with us, that we are not alone. No matter what we're going through, you're here with us and that you understand exactly what it is that we are going through. Help us to be reminded of your incredible faithful love that never, ever leaves us, no matter what we go through. Help us to be able to hold on to that as we continue to move forward into the days and weeks ahead. I pray that you would continue to cultivate patience in us. We know that it is one of the things that you want to grow in us as we choose to follow Jesus. But it's something that sometimes we can only learn when we're in situations where we have to choose whether we're going to be patient or not. And so for those of us who are in situations where the temptation is there for us to be impatient, where the temptation is for us to grab the reins, where the temptation is for us to get frustrated about a lack of action, help us to trust you. Grow that sense of patience in us so that we can get to a place where we can get up each day and just trust in the journey that you've got for us to walk. And for each one of us, I pray that no matter what our situation is, you would help us to look at where we can serve, to look for opportunities to be able to serve the people that we connect with in our lives, to look for the places where we can see that you're at work and to call attention to that so that the people that we interact with are able to discover you in the way that so many did through the work that Joseph did. As we move on from this series, I pray that whatever it is that you would like us to take away, whatever it is that you would like us to embrace in our lives, that you would find ways of helping us to hold on to that that far from just leaving this in our memory banks as something that we talked about at some point, you would do a work of transformation in us that enables us as we move into the second half of this year to continue to be more like you, Jesus, to continue to reflect you, to reflect your character, to reflect your values and to reflect what life is like the way that you call us to live. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.